broken too. There's only one thing you wanna do. Open your mouth and let it spew. But I am telling you, stay positive. When you're baking a cake for your family, and your kids are hopped up on caffeine, your fluffy cake is now kinda lean. Remember, don't be mean, stay positive. When your bank account is close to red, you want to cry yourself to bed. It could be worse, you could be dead. Remember what I said, stay positive. Come on and put your hands together this morning, church. Anybody glad to be here? Make some noise if you're just glad to be here. Hey, let me take a moment before we jump into the message today. We always like to look in the cameras in the back of the room, say a great big hello to our extended family. Now, many of you know that we are one church in two locations. So we have our campus right here in the South Metro Atlanta area, and then 700 miles north from here in the greater Washington, D.C. is our Go Church family. And what an honor it is to do life together, to, to worship God together, and to be, to be together today. So I want all of you in-house, make some noise for our Go Church family. Come on. Make enough noise they can hear you from here to Maryland. Come on, there you go. And then also we recognize all of our, our online viewers. Every single week our online campus is growing bigger and bigger. And so if you're watching online for whatever reason, maybe you are uh, going to vacation, coming from vacation. Maybe you're stuck at work and you got uh, kind of a break you're in the break room, tuning on your smartphone. Listen, whoever you are, wherever you are, so glad you're watching online today. As a matter of fact, in the comment section, let us know exactly where you're watching from so that we can uh, check into that as well. We're just glad to have you. And then we always love to give honor where honor is due. And so we've got incredible military men and women that are serving our country. And so we've got, come on, we've got people from all over the world watching. We bless you. Come on, make some noise for all the military people watching today. We do salute you. So. We're in week number two of a series uh, that we're doing here. We're calling it Stay Positive. On the count of three, say the title of this series with me. One, two, three. And, and I'm really excited about this series, particularly because, well, because I need it. Like, I need some positivity in my life. Is anybody else feeling that right now? I mean, it seems like there is an epidemic of negativity that has swept across our country and across the globe I mean, every time you watch the news, listen to the news, read the news, it's always bad news. You know, even when you try to get a little bit of an escape and you get on social media, social media is depressing. Come on, because that's where you vent all your family's stuff, and we listen and watch it, and it's hard. There's a lot of negativity out there. Uh, even, even for many of you at both campuses, you walked in today, you're carrying some heavy stuff. You got, you got some bad news this week, or you're going through a specific challenge or a circumstance, and you feel like your back is against the wall Whatever the situation is, I, I really believe that God is calling us to stay positive. Now, many of you know that my wife and I, we moved from Maryland at the beginning of this year, and we were blessed with the opportunity to, to be homeowners. So this is, a, this is a new endeavor for us to own a home. Uh, the way that it worked before is when we were on staff here at South Metro, uh, we lived in one of the, 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 the church parsonages, one of the homes that the church owned. And then when we moved to Maryland, uh, the third most expensive county in the country, we couldn't afford to buy a home, so we rented there. So this is our first time owning a home. And, and I got a piece of paper the other day in the mail. You, I, I appreciate that, but we got some property taxes. Come on now. 
<laughs> Anybody got that piece of paper lately? It's like, you owe. So I, I called dad. I was like, what, what is property tax? He's like, son, let me talk to you, you know? And so, so he came over and he said, I got two words for you. I said, what are they? He said, stay positive, all right? Everybody's got to pay them, you know? And so it's just like, it seems the point that I'm trying to make is it seems like life happens. And anytime you put one foot in front of the other, something happens and you end up taking two steps backwards. And if you're not careful, you can dwell on all of the negative stuff and you miss out on the opportunity to stay positive. Uh, if you allow me, and I know this is the second week of this series, but I'd like to adopt a particular passage of Scripture that I think will help us as we journey over the next few weeks. And many of you know it, especially if you grew up in church, it's, it's John 16, It's this one verse here, and it says this. It's Jesus talking to his disciples. And he's having this conversation. It's a hard conversation because he gets, he's explaining to them, hey, I'm about to go. I'm going I'm to go to my father. And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Somebody say peace. peace. See, the challenge is, is that many of you are at war. You're not at peace, but you're at war. There's war at the workplace. There, there's war in the family. There's war in your mind. And Jesus says, watch, don't miss it. He says, when you are in me, you get peace. See, he provides a peace that this world cannot offer. Come on, church. Somebody help me out. I know it's early on in the message, but I'm feeling it already. He says, when you're in me, you get to have peace. And then he says this. He says, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, none of you are going to be exempt from the pains of life from the challenges of life, from the difficulties of life. He says, a matter of fact, all of us, if there's breath in our lungs and blood in our veins, we are going to have trouble. But then he closes this conversation with these few words, and it is these few words that allows me to stay positive. And it's these few words, and you can tell us why I want to adopt this as kind of our theme central verse over the next few weeks. He says, but take heart. Because I, meaning Jesus, have overcome the world. That is good news, and that's why you get to stay positive. So, so we kicked off this conversation last week. Uh, I talked about optimism, and I shared with you I'm optimistic, and I gave you eight reasons why I'm optimistic based out of Romans chapter 8. Did you enjoy last week, by the way? Come on. If you missed last week, jump back online, watch the replay, download the podcast. But here was, the, here was kind of the driving thought of that whole conversation, and it was this. I'm not optimistic based on what I feel or what I see, but I'm optimistic based on what God says. And when we look at what God says versus what we see, then we know that we can have optimism because God, at the end of the day, he's in control. So again, if you missed last week, listen back and catch up with this. But today, I'm going to talk about this. I'm enthusiastic. Anybody else? Because I said it and that was weak. Come on, let's try it again. As a matter of fact, let me go backwards here. Because see, if I touch this screen with one finger, it advances forward. If I touch it backward or two fingers, it goes backwards. I'm going to go backwards because that wasn't good enough. Watch this. I said, today I'm talking about I'm enthusiastic. There we go. And I am. And truth be told, there are two types of people in this world. There are two particular people groups. The first group is this. There are the people who let their environment determine their enthusiasm. So when they walk into a situation, depending upon the situation, then their enthusiasm is determined by the environment. So if you went to the doctor this week and you got a report that you didn't like, it could, it could detour 
your enthusiasm. If there was conflict in the home, then that environment could rob you of your enthusiasm. And that's one type of people group. But the other type of people group, and this is where I hope to live my life, is the type of people who let their enthusiasm change their environment. Come on now. That no matter the circumstance, no matter the challenge, no matter the situation, because they have this enthusiasm, it changes everything. But when I think about these types of people, there's, there's a particular group that comes to my mind, and it's all the employees of Chick-fil-A. Come on now. <laughs> these are the happiest people in the world. And you know they're dealing with some crazy folks. Come on now. Especially here in the South. You know what I mean? But these Chick-fil-A workers are incredibly enthusiastic. My pleasure. No, my pleasure. No, my pleasure. As a matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, I was having one of those days, and I decided to swing through Chick-fil-A. Kimberly kept telling me, you got to try this peach tea lemonade. you got to try this peach tea lemonade. She said, it's heaven's nectar. you got to try this peach tea. Anybody try the peach tea lemonade? So, so I drive up, and before I get to the window to get my peach tea lemonade, there was already like four or five Chick-fil-A workers that had, had served me because they have changed the hospitality of the fast food industry forever. So, so the one person takes my order and she says, what will you have? And I said, well, my wife tells me that I need to have a peach tea lemonade. She said, oh, that is so good. And I said, is it? She said, oh, that is a great choice, sir. And I said, well, well typically I make good choices. <laughs> and you know what she said? She said, I can tell you do. And I said, well, make it a large then. Make it a large. I'm going large with my peach tea lemonade. She said, sir, that is the best choice you've made all day. <laughs> By the time I got to get my tea, I was in a dynamic mood, baby. And I'm telling you, she let her enthusiasm change the environment. Do you see that? And that's the kind of person that I want to be. However, this message is more than just smile, pretend to be happy, Put on a, a bubbly perspective. No, no, no. Instead, I want to look at a, a side of enthusiasm that I think many of us have often overlooked, and it's the spiritual side. I want to look at enthusiasm from a spiritual perspective, and in order to do that, you've got to define what enthusiasm means. Our, our English word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words. The first of these two words is the word on. The second word is the word theos, and that means with God. So, so really, watch this. It means in God. Enthusiasm is in God or filled with God. Do you see that? So the spiritual side of enthusiasm is to know that, wait a minute, no matter what I'm facing, what challenges I have, despite the problems, despite the pain, despite that trouble, I, I am in God. I, I am filled with God. God. Come on. So from a spiritual perspective, enthusiasm is so much more than just being in a good mood or putting on a friendly smile. It's the result of being filled with God. And when you're filled with God, you can't be full of anything else. When you're in God, nothing else can get in. Uh, let's look at a few examples here. Uh, the Apostle Paul that I love so much, again, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. He, he talks about this side of spiritual enthusiasm that I want you to see. He starts out by saying this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but thank God. Have you, have you done that today? 
I mean, come on. He doesn't say, thank God if everything's going the way you want it to. He just says, but thank God. Why? Because he gives us victory over sin and death. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. I, I highlighted those two words because as I was praying for you all this week, I felt like somebody needed those two words. I even feel great emotion with those two words because some of you are really going through it today. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. You feel exhausted. You're not sure the outcome of whatever the situation is. There's great challenge, but listen to me. Be strong. Not on your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And be immovable. Come on. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters, the psalmist said. I shall not be moved. Come on. Be strong and immovable. Uh, the apostle Paul goes on and he says this. Always work. How? There it is. He says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, and that's key. He says, for, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Now, you can do stuff that's not for the Lord, and it's useless, but anything you do for the Lord, it's never useless if you work enthusiastically, and that's so strong. This verse is not just a verse for pastors. It's a verse for all of us. And in this verse, what we see is, regardless of what we do, what we do is not the point. Paul says it's not about what you do, it's about how you do what you do and who you do what you do for. Say that ten times fast. He says it's not about what you do, it's about how you do it and who you do it for. So you can wait tables, you can work on cars, you can work on hearts, you can be a full-time student, a stay-at-home parent. You can be a business owner or a school teacher or whatever it is. Paul is just saying what you do is not the point. It's how you do it and who you do it for. That's what really matters. And when you do it with enthusiasm, you can work at Chick-fil-A, baby. Come on. But when you do it for the Lord and when you do it for, for, not for your own gain or benefit, then it's never, ever useless. Here's another verse, Colossians 3, verse 23. He says, whatever you do, there it is again. Whatever it is, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And I love that because regardless of what we do, even if you don't think it's spiritual, just work at it for the Lord because that's what spiritual enthusiasm, that, that's what antheos, that's what in God, that's what being filled with God is all about. A great pastor uh, of, of Life Church, he, Greg Rochelle, he, he says it this way, and I quoted him because I want you to write this thought down because there's so much truth to it. He says, enthusiasm is not a product of your environment as much as it is a posture of your heart. Come on, that's good, isn't it? Again, write it down or snap a picture of it. I'll even get in the camera shot with you. Come on, this is good. Enthusiasm is not a product of your environment as much as it is a posture of your heart. So our last few minutes that we got together, I want to talk to you about an individual and the posture of his heart. It's a guy by the name of David. Many of you know who David is in the Bible. Uh, even even non-believers know about David in one of the most infamous stories in all of the scripture of David and Goliath. He's the kid 
who fought this giant and defeated him. I mean, even in the business world, they, they use David and Goliath as leadership trainings and principles and coaches, you know, in different sports teams. It's used the story of David and Goliath to try and rally teams together and to motivate them. So, so you know a little bit about David and Goliath, specifically David. I want you to see the ontheos of David, though. I want you to see the spiritual enthusiasm that David had as a kid when he went toe-to-toe, head-to-head, with a nine-foot giant that everybody else was afraid of. Leading up to the point of this scripture that I'm about to read to you, this Philistine giant, he, he would mock the Israelite army. He would make fun of them, and everybody was afraid of him. Even, even King Saul was terrified to go out and to face him. And then along comes David, filled with ontheos, filled with God, in God, filled with this spiritual enthusiasm, and I want you to read it, and I want you to see it, and I want you to hear it with this type of enthusiasm that he had. Let's pick up in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17. He says this, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Come on, that'll preach by itself. Because, let me just tell you this, because whatever situation you're going through, whatever Goliath you're up against, watch this, at the name of Jesus, come on church, come on, at the name of Jesus, all of hell begins to tremble. He says, you bring all the worldly weapons that you got, but I'll come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then he gets a little bit more confident that on Theos begins to stir up on the inside of him. And he says, this is the day that the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down. I'm even going to cut your head off, honey. Come on. Can you imagine this is a kid? And watch what he says. He goes on. He says, this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. And and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Come on, that's a good place to give Jesus some praise. This is a kid fighting a giant, but he's doing so in a perspective of ontheos, with spiritual enthusiasm. To know that it's not by might nor by power, it's by His Spirit, the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us. And when I, I read about this account of David and how, how he, was, he was unhindered by his environment, how he didn't let fear creep in in the moment of uncertainty and great challenge, but he let the Spirit of God rise up on the inside of him. I wonder, where did David get this type of enthusiasm from? I mean, where did it come from to have this type of spiritual enthusiasm? Here, here's a few, a few thoughts to chew on. The first one is this. You have to remember that David witnessed God's power every single day. See, long before the giant came on the scene, David was responsible to protect the sheep in the field. And on certain occasions, there would be an attack from lions and tigers and bears. You know it. Come on now. And David, every day, witnessed God's power at work. 
And here's the point that I'm trying to make is, is that David wasn't afraid of what was in front of him because he could close his eyes and remember that God was always before him. Come on now. That God was always with him. In every situation, in every trial, God was always there. And this is just a word of encouragement for somebody. If God has never failed you before, he's not going to start failing you today. Come on now. David witnessed God's power daily. But that wasn't all. This is where his enthusiasm, that Theos came from. He walked with God daily. Let me tell you, the type of relationship that David had was more than just a, and I don't want this to be offensive to you, but I'm going to say it anyway, was more than just a, I come to church on Sundays relationship. This was a daily walk with the Lord. The type of intimacy that David had with God was birthed out of a place a place of worship, a, a place of spending time with his creator. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 23, if you give me a moment, I'll, I'll read it to you. David says this. Remember, he walked with God. He walked with God. He says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Come on now. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. He says, look, even goodness and mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. And he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was walking with God. So when, when the environment shifted, and now there's a giant standing in front of him, he was filled with Theos because he had witnessed the power of God, and he was walking with God, and watch this, and he was worshiping God every day. Come on, as a part of his responsibilities was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant is what carried the presence of God. It carried God's presence. And, and when the Ark of the Covenant returned off of his orders, uh, David worshipped so much so that he danced right out of his clothes. Let me just tell you, this ain't that kind of church. You ought to be glad about that too. There are churches like that, but pardon the grammar, this ain't one of them. Come on, that's a good place to be like, thank God. The, the point though is, is that he was, he was so consumed with the worship that, that nothing else really mattered. And he worshiped God and he walked with God and he witnessed God. And, and I got to give you the, the conclusion of how this whole story played out. Watch this. And so as Goliath moved closer to attack, watch David with Antheos. Come on. David, when, when the giant got closer and now the perspective was, wait a minute, this guy's a lot bigger than I thought. David didn't tuck, tail, and run. No, no, no. But he let the power of God rise up on the inside of him. And David ran quickly with enthusiasm to meet him. Come on. Watch this. And he reached into his shepherd's bag. He took out a stone. He hurled it and with his sling. And he hit the Philistine right in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Come on one more time. Put your hands together. David... He had this enthusiasm. And let me pause and just tell you, no matter the giant that you're faced with today, 
when you are filled with God, when God is in you and knowing that God is for you, I'm not telling you that in this world you won't have trouble. We've already determined that you will, but you can take heart because God has overcome the world. So stop staring down, but look up in confidence and run towards the giant because I'm telling you, listen to me, victory is yours. Do you believe that today? Come on. Victory is yours. Now, we could stop there and we could feel good, but I don't think I would do the life of David proper justice without telling you the full story. Because there, there are two seasons of David's life. There, there's the season of, of David as a kid, and then there's the season of David as a king. Now, let me pause here and ask you this. What is the opposite of enthusiasm? I'll give you the answer. It's apathy. And you can even Google this uh, to fact check me if you'd like, but even Google tells us that the definition of apathy is a lack of enthusiasm. So a moment ago, I showed you David as a kid being filled with this spiritual enthusiasm, but now in the second season of David's life, he's king and he's filled with apathy. Let me show it to you. Watch this. One, uh, one book later, we were in 1 Samuel, now we're in 2 Samuel. Watch what happens. In the spring, at the time when who? King. David was king. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab. He sent Joab to go out with the king's men. David had a job to do. David had a responsibility to do. There was another war. There was another battle. There was another fight. There was another giant. Come on. Except this time David didn't have the Theos. David was living his life filled with apathy. And he lacked enthusiasm. And because he lacked the enthusiasm, he wasn't responsible to do what he was required to do. And so he sent someone else in his place to do the job that he was supposed to do. And watch this. So, so he skipped out on his responsibility. Do you see that? And watch the end result. On one evening, when he's supposed to be out fighting the battle, look, on one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba. And so David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and David slept with her. Do you see the difference? Look, as a, as a kid... David had enthusiasm and he ran into the battle to serve his God. But as a king, David had apathy and he walked on the roof to serve his comfort. And it leads me to this question. Come on, lean in for a moment. Listen to me. How can a person who in one season of their life is filled with so much enthusiasm and then in the next season of their life be filled with so much apathy? How does a kid, not afraid of a giant, become a king and run from his responsibility? Uh, there's a few things that we could chew on there, uh, but I really truly believe the Holy Spirit gave me three to share with you. There are, there are three things that will end your enthusiasm. Which, by the way, before I share these three with you, let me just pause and say this. It is the primary objective of the enemy to steal your joy. It's the responsibility of the enemy to take your theos away from you. 
He does not want you. He does not want you to experience the joy of the Lord. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the enemy wants to rob you of that enthusiasm, to rob you of that joy. And there are some traps that are set for us so that our enthusiasm will end. The first one is comparison. Let me tell you how dangerous it is to live your life in comparison mode. Comparing, well, things used to be this way and now they're not that way anymore. Comparing, well, my my life is like this, but look at so-and-so's life. It's a dangerous place to live, and comparison is a huge trap that will end your enthusiasm. Here's another one. Comfort. Comfort is dangerous. See, watch this. When you continuously live your life in a place of comfort, comfort leads to complacency, and complacency leads to compromise. See, the enemy wants you to get comfortable. You know, anytime that you want to know, is God speaking to me, uh, one of the filters that you can use is this, uh, is what I'm feeling like I'm supposed to do comfortable. Because at least for my life personally, and when I read scripture, I've never seen where God calls you to do something that feels comfortable. Because when it feels comfortable, then you rest on your own power and not on God's power. See, God, God always calls us to do something that's uncomfortable so that we lean on Him and not lean on us. Come on, that's a good place to pause and to give some praise right there. And watch this. Here's the thing about God. God is more concerned about your character than He is your comfort. And that leads us to the third thing that will end your enthusiasm. Corrupt character. What you do when no one is watching you, that is your character. When nobody else is looking, when nobody else is there, that's when your, your real character is revealed. And when your character choices are poor, God will always feel distant. Why? Because sin separates us from God. And the enemy is out out to end that enthusiasm and so you see comparison and you see comfort creep in and all of a sudden now we're making poor character choices let me ask you this question it's rhetorical but it has to be asked what season are you in this morning where are you at today Come on, you're facing stuff, you've got giants, you've got battles, so, so are, you, are you enthusiastically charging into that spiritual battle? Are you living in on theos? Are you filled with God? Are you in God? And no matter what the environment, you're, you're pursuing forward, you're pushing forward, or are you comfortable just walking around the roof? Wow. Living your life in apathy, hoping that one day the situation will change. I want to ask you a couple of questions here. Uh, These are going to seem very elementary. They're not to challenge your intellect at all. This is just how my brain works. Uh, And although they're easy questions, they're actually kind of hard questions, so you can figure them out. I'll I'll just give you what the Lord gave me. Three questions to increase your spiritual enthusiasm. Number one is this. you got to know what the spiritual temperature is. Your Bible says in Revelation, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you from my mouth, says the Lord. That's painful. What God is really saying is you've got to decide. You, you can't just ride the fence here. Come on, you've got to be in or you need to get out. But, but riding the fence is very dangerous. And, and you have to pause because, ladies and gentlemen, this is where it starts. This is where it starts. An opportunity to stop 
and to ask, come on, it's rhetorical again, but on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your spiritual temperature? And then when you answer it, then ask, and what would God say? What would God say about your spiritual temperature this morning? Uh, Revelation says it like this, chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says, you say that you're rich. You say that you become wealthy. You say that you have need of nothing. And you don't even know that you're wretched, that you're miserable, that you're poor, that you're blind, that you're naked. Come on. Listen to me. I, I, I want to challenge you with this. It's, it's so easy to fake it. You've done that. I've done that. We put a smile on our face. We carry around our Bible. How are, how are you today? I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I'm just going to let you in on a little secret, all right? This is just me. Whenever I have a conversation with people and they talk to me in a churchy King James dialect voice, I know that their spiritual temperature is jacked up. I'm going to tell you right now. It's fake. Phony. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Are you or are you wretched, miserable, poor, blind? What is the spiritual temperature? Not only is it easy to fake it and to put a mask on, but you know what else is easy to do? Is that when you take that self-examination to feel guilty. And that's not the point of this. As a matter of fact, that's why we're doing a series. I'm telling you to stay positive. Not feel guilty, but to stay positive. But it starts with a self-examination. Let me ask you a second question. Again, easy but hard. Watch. Not only is you got to figure out your spiritual temperature, but, but what is it that you need to stop doing? Let's be real. Come on, be real for a second with me. Let's, let's take off this. Let's, let's err on the side of transparency. You feel a certain way about your relationship with God because there are some things that you need to stop doing. What, what is that secret that nobody else knows about? What's that sin that you're in bondage to? Come on, what's the distraction that's keeping you from removing your eyes off of Jesus. I'm going to give you the two most powerful words I know to give you in this moment, uh, and I hope you receive them well. You ready? Stop it. Stop. Stop it. This is one of the reasons that I, I'm not the greatest counselor. As a matter of fact, if you've asked for counseling in the upcoming weeks, cancel it, because here it is. I'm going to give it to you. Stop it. Now, I know it's not that easy, and I'm all about counseling, and I'm all about process, and I'm all about God working things out, but let me tell you this. Stop it. People come in. Well, we fight a lot. Stop it. Stop fighting. Well, I drink a lot. Stop. Now, I get that. It's not that easy, but watch. You've got to, you've got to take the authority of the word and recognize greater is he on the inside of you than he that's in the world. God will put the right people in your path to help you stop it, but it starts with understanding that God has given me a strength, and the same power that raised Jesus up from the grave lives on the inside of me. And if I can take that authority, then I, then I can stop. I can stop. God, again, God will put the right people in your life to help you stop. But you know what I see more times than not? Is people say, I can't stop because they don't want to stop. Because they don't want to stop. Then the third question is this, and it makes sense. So if you've got to stop doing something, then what do you need to start doing? It's not just a matter of stopping, but it's a matter of starting. 
couple more verses and we'll be done. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says it like this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had when? At first. Do you remember when you first got saved? I remember when he called me by my name. I was so radical for Jesus, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> I remember one time going in with a group of friends. We had all just given our heart to the Lord. and We went into, a, I think it was a Kmart. And I picked up the intercom. <laughs> Attention Kmart shoppers, Jesus is here. If you want to meet him, he's on aisle five. Well, they kicked me out at Kmart. But at first, at first, at first you couldn't put this Bible down. At first, every time the church doors were open, you were there. At first, it didn't matter how long they sang. It didn't matter how long he preached. First, it just mattered being in God's presence. And watch what he says. Now consider how far you've fallen. How far you've come from how it was at first. And then here's, here's the advice. And this is my prayer for us today as we have a desire to get back to that on Theos. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do you see that? And this, I'm going to come full circle. This is what David did. As a kid, he had enthusiasm. As a king, he had apathy. But then he repented. He repented of his sins. And he got back to doing things how he did them at first. We're running out of time, but I want to read to you all of Psalm 51. It's 12 verses long. And here's why I want to read them to you. Because Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance over his sin with Bathsheba. So in Psalm 51, he pins the words to this prayer that he cries out to God from sheer brokenness out of repentance. Watch what he says. You got, you got a couple more minutes? Good, thank you. I like that guy right there. I like him. Even if you said no, I'm going to keep going. So I'm in it now. Have mercy on me, God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. Verse 3. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me both day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I, I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, in your judgment against me, it is just. Watch this, verse 5. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment that my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my enthusiasm again. Give me back my joy again. I want it back, God, he says. I'm tired of living in this place of apathy 
No, I want to be filled with God. I want to be in God again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And then he says, don't cast me from your presence. And whatever you do, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And then he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Rejoy to me that spiritual enthusiasm. And then he says, and make me willing to obey you. I want you to see this, and I don't want you to miss it. What is he doing? He's repenting and returning. And in this prayer, he's not asking God to fit inside of David's behavioral box. No, he's saying, God, help me to obey you. He says, how can I fit inside of what you're calling me to do and calling me to how to live my life? Listen to me. You need to hear this. We can't ask God to to cleanse us and to break us and to wash us white as snow and then not change. That's not how grace works. Real repentance is sheer brokenness, begging God, don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He was going back to what he did in the beginning where he witnessed God's power where he walked with God daily and where he worshipped God this is the point remember church come on remember enthusiasm is not a product of your environment as much as it is a posture of your heart and listen to me if you get the heart right everything else follows can you put your hands together this morning come on from the front to the back go church as well come on come on if this word has been an encouragement to you come on lift up your voice in this place hallelujah let me pray for you i'm going to pray for you and then i'm going to turn it over to our campus pastor at go church father may you restore us to the joy of your salvation and may we experience that on theos again that spiritual enthusiasm in our life there are people in this room that they once had a relationship with you and now they're far from you may they come home today there are others who have never been in a right relationship with you let them begin that new walk today and may you restore to them that enthusiasm that that joy that joy I just feel led to tell somebody you don't have to live in constant depression. You don't have to live in constant anxiety or fear. That's the the attack of the enemy. God wants you to be filled with joy and enthusiasm. And I'm telling you, he can do it for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.